0: So, uh, hey, this morning we're in a series called uh, More Than Enough, and we've been looking at the ways that Jesus fulfills our needs perfectly, uh, needs that each of us have uh, at a deep heart level, the way God has created us, and he's created us to have those needs fulfilled by himself and ultimately through Jesus Christ. And so we've we've looked at a handful already for guidance and protection and for hope, and today we get to... Uh, our need for peace. Would you love to have peace in your heart? I know I would. You know, uh, Americans live in comfortable homes, right? Most of us, even if, uh, even if we don't have the greatest home in the world, we still live in a fairly comfortable place compared to the rest of the world. Um, yet even though our homes are comfortable, domestic violence is at an all-time high. Even though our cities are some of the most modern in the world, uh, there's streets. If you go to Chicago, it uh, has recently become uh, maybe the murder capital of the world. The streets aren't safe, even though they're modern. Um, Communication is unsurpassed today compared to the ways that you can communicate with people, yet misunderstanding is probably bigger than it's ever been and more prevalent. And connection can be there, yet... uh, uh, feeling alone is maybe as great as it's ever been, even though we're on social media all the time and we've got uh, 500 friends and 2,000 likes and all this and that, but we're incredibly lonely, desperately lonely. We desperately long for peace, peace at a a heart level, at the the inter-being of who we are, day-to-day life, peace. Um. You know, think, think of it. Think of the stress that you might have at work. Maybe uh, at work you faced a merger, or you're facing one, and that could either mean extra stress for you in the midst of that, or it could mean stress that you don't know what's going to happen to your job. Uh, maybe, maybe you're a homemaker, you're a stay-at-home mom, and uh, you're tired of talking to a two-year-old all day. And there's stress, and you just need some peace, or at least some sanity, because they only know a couple words, and you're tired of them. Maybe you're a single adult and you just desire to get married. And you, you, everybody, we just want peace, don't we? Isn't that true? Would you agree? It's just long for peace. It's in, it's in who we are. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at some of Jesus' words that I think, um, uh, well, basically he commands us to have his peace. And uh, then if, if we have time, and I think we will, we'll, we'll jump over in to see what Paul has to say about this as well. And just kind of, uh, just some briefly, just some how to, how do we go about Getting this peace sound good, let me pray, and then we 'll dive in. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus, thanks for your grace to us through him, and um, Lord thanks that you do offer us peace, but Lord, we need it, and um, it, it seems like while well, we know we have peace with you because of Jesus' work on the cross, having your peace on a day to day level is is fleeting oftentimes sometimes because of our sins, sometimes because of the sin of others sometimes. We just, we don't know why. So uh, would you encourage us this morning, uh, show us some things, maybe each of us, even just one thing we could take away today that would drive us towards attaining and living out your peace in our life. We love you, we thank you for Jesus who is the Prince of Peace, who gives peace to us, not as the world gives, but the peace that he gives. And um, Lord, I pray against the enemy, the one who accuses and robs us of that peace. Uh, teach us instead this morning, Holy Spirit, and draw us uh, toward your, toward Jesus Christ. We pray all this through him. Amen. Well, I think the first thing maybe we ought to do is define what we're talking about by peace. In, in the Bible, the biblical word uh, for peace is often shalom. It's a Hebrew word. And uh, shalom means uh, a tranquil goodness, a completeness. It's more than just... Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, maybe maybe you grew up in the 60s and you were a hippie. And so when you think peace, maybe not. But but maybe that's you, right? And you think peace just like world peace. Like we just, but do you know um, that there's more wars today than there were 20 years ago, than 40 years ago, than before World War II? Uh, you, you can Google it. You can look at some of the stats. Like before World War II, there was an average of point. Whatever wars per year started, after World War II, it rose to 3.1. Uh, today, it's like 3.5 to 3.6 wars per year that are started. It doesn't sound like the world's getting more peaceful, does it? Uh, but that's, not, that's part of God's peace, but that's not the peace we're talking about. We're not talking about world peace, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the peace that Jesus gives in biblical shalom, And and when the Bible speaks of peace, it speaks of two different types of shalom. There's an objective peace is the first one. And this objective peace is a really important peace. This is the peace that we have with God. It's objective. It has to do with your standing before God. It has to do with your position before him. This is peace with God. And this only is accomplished through Jesus Christ's Death, burial, and resurrection, right? His work on the cross is what accomplishes our objective peace with God. And listen, if you don't have that, you need that. Because if you don't have it, guess what? Guess who orchestrates that peace and makes things right? Not your, uh, not your mediator, Jesus, but you will mediate out your sin in hell for eternity. That's bad news. You need peace with God. All of us were enemies of God, but Jesus, while we were still his enemies, still sinners, he died for us, Romans 5, 8 tells us. And that's good news. And and previous to that, in Romans 5, 1, he says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, if you know Jesus Christ, if you're really a Christian, not just somebody who goes to church, but you're truly a Christian, you've trusted him, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. That's what we're all about. And uh, I hope that you hear that every Sunday that you come here. That you need peace with God. You need to be justified, made right with him through the work of Jesus Christ. At Colossians, Paul talks about it uh, when in his letter to the church in Colossae, he says, uh, through Jesus, his goal is to reconcile himself to all things, God's was, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is reconciled to himself through the work of Jesus. I think this is what Psalm 85 is talking about. That see, the way that Jesus earns our peace or reconciles us is uh, our God is a holy God without sin. And uh, we have, uh, he can have no part of sin. And so he demands a holy life, not a good life, a perfect life. And the moment we sin, we mess it up. Uh, just just one one sin who would dare say they've never sinned but Jesus Christ guess what he was god who came and put on flesh and he lived a perfect life as a man never sinned yet he paid the penalty for sin which is death but death could not hold him he rose again from the grave and uh he conquered death so that anyone who would believe in him he would give his life to and it's a great exchange where he takes our sin and he gives us his life right and uh and In Psalm 85 then, verse 10, I think sums up that truth of us getting peace from Christ, peace with God because of his work on the cross. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other is what what Psalm 85, 10 says. That Jesus' righteousness and the peace of God come together and and it's a glorious thing. Well, so that's the first piece, objective peace, peace with God. Do you have that? Because here's the deal. If you don't have that, you can never have the second piece. This second piece is what we would call a, the subjective peace of God. And it's not peace with God, it's the peace of God. And I don't know that any passage sums it up better than John 14. So maybe turn with me there now. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's about three quarters of the way through your Bible if you're not familiar with Scripture. It'll also be on the screen. Uh, but John, John 14, uh, specifically look towards the end at verse 27. Jesus says this. He says, peace I leave with you. See, what's, what's happening in these verses is this is uh, much of John's gospel is written about events that take place in the week and day before Jesus' crucifixion. The majority of John's gospel is all about this one week period of time. And he's, he's, he's disclosed to his disciples, we're going to see this in a little bit, that he's leaving them. And they're a little worried. They're, they're, they're like, well, what do, we, what do we do? Where are you going? And uh, then at the end he says, uh, in this discourse, he goes, uh, but peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Isn't that good news? This is the peace of God. This is the peace we really want. I mean, the peace with God, it's like, yeah, I've got that. But what about the peace of God? How does this work its way out in my everyday life? And this type of peace isn't a peace that's... um, Like the world gives, right? Because what kind of peace does the world give? The peace that the world gives doesn't last, does it? When When you get peace of the world, and maybe you get it through purchasing something, through eating something, through being with someone, and you get this peace and you have it for a while, but then the circumstances of life come up and what do they do to that peace? They attack it and destroy it and it's gone. Like I'm feeling pretty good and then I get that text message. I'm feeling okay and then they call. Right? Do you know what I'm talking about? And like, like the peace of the world, like I'm feeling it, and then it's just anxiety hits out of nowhere. That's the peace of the world. And Jesus says, not like the peace that the world gives you, I give you, but, but my peace I give you. Well, what, what was Jesus' peace like? Do you remember what his peace was like when he would face accusers and when he was in the garden? Now, he still was troubled, right? His heart was very troubled in the garden the night before he was crucified. And... Um, but at the same time, his the peace of his heart overcame those troubles to where, uh, he followed through and obeyed the Lord. Or when he was confronted with adversaries during his teaching ministry, rather than you know freak out on him and get all defensive, he, there, there was just this peace about who he was that that I wish I had a lot of days where where he just he he responds to him in a gracious way. And see, here's the difference: the peace of the world, circumstances attack it. The peace of Jesus attacks those circumstances. Do you see the difference? Let me say that again. The peace of the world that the world gives will, uh, the, it is attacked and diminished by your circumstances. But the peace of God in Jesus Christ actually attacks and diminishes those circumstances, or at least the effects of them in your life. Do you see that? Isn't that the kind of peace you want? Uh, an aggressive peace? Now you're like, Josh, well, where do you get that from? How can you, what do you mean that peace attacks, like it's offensive and goes on the attack? Well, we're going to come to this passage, Lord willing, here at the end of the message. But in, in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 7, Paul writes this. He says, and the peace of God, not peace with God, but here he's talking about the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. What will it do? Do you know this verse? Those of you who know it, what will it do? It will guard it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, as you're in Christ, God's peace will guard you. It will keep those circumstances from destroying your peace because it, 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 it's on the offensive. It's aggressive. It guards you. Now, how many of you are like, yeah, but I don't experience that? Do you feel that way? There's days I do. Like, I know I have peace with God, but what about this peace of God? I mean, that's the, that's the stuff. That's what I want. Because it's not like the world's peace. Uh, John MacArthur has a, has a quote, and uh, I'm going to read to you here in just a moment that I think is good. But he talks about, you know, a lot of times in our lives, we're seeking peace, and we're seeking it in wrong ways, and we're seeking the peace of the world, not the peace of Christ. And he, he, he writes, he, he says about that this. And on this topic, he says, uh, so it's kind of a long quote, so bear with me. Men seek a condition in which they have no unsatisfied desires gnawing at their heart. Isn't that true? They want a present peace. We seek a condition where there are no strings of conscience dipped in the poison of past sins tearing at them. Uh, torturing them hour by hour. So they want a past peace. And then men seek a condition with no foreboding fear of the future that's unknown and the dark tomorrow. They they want a future peace. Men want a past, a present, and a future peace. And that's exactly the kind of peace that Jesus left with us. It's a past peace in the sense that there's no guilt because the past is forgiven, right? And, and, And Paul can say, forgetting those things which are behind It's a present peace because there's no unsatisfaction. The present is totally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it's a future peace because there is no fear. The future is forecast. Our destiny is determined eternally. And we have that security in the indwelling spirit. That's what man is looking for. A past, a present, and a future peace. And that's exactly what Jesus gives. But he only gives it to those who already have peace with God, who have ended their rebellion and by faith in Jesus Christ come into a reconciled relationship with him. We're going to talk a little bit about some of Jesus' instructions here now the rest of the morning of the peace of God and what that looks like. But you've got to understand it is utterly impossible. I'll come back to it. I said it already. But it's utterly impossible for you to have the peace of God until you have peace with God. You have to know Jesus Christ to know his peace in your life. I would exhort you to turn to him. See, it's, it's like a prerequisite. I teach some classes at Grace College, and then in, in one of my classes, there's a prerequisite for it. And inevitably, every time I've taught it, there'll be one or two students who really struggle. And you know what ends up being the common denominator? They haven't taken the class they were supposed to before they took this class. And so when they get to this class, when we're building off of all the stuff that they already took, they've got got nothing to build upon. It's just kind of guessing and figuring this out. And they struggle. They they can't do it without that prerequisite. Well, it's the same thing. You can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. It's a prerequisite because it builds off of that. Now, um, the disciples, I believe, were looking for this peace as well. And uh, while you're there in John 14, look back with me at verse 1 at the beginning of the chapter. uh, Because this is the experience of the disciples. And Jesus has some words to them uh, that I think will be helpful for us. Uh, Look at verse 14. Let's just work our way through this text. Um, He says in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, he seems to be addressing some, uh, some strife or some concern, some anxiety in their heart, doesn't he? Why else would he say, let not your hearts be troubled? Why else would he say that? Well, to understand what he's talking about, we, let, let's just look back a couple verses prior. This won't be on the screen, but if you've got it open, uh, here, here's what had happened. In verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, uh, see previously, right before this, Jesus told him he was leaving and Simon said to him, Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Where where, where are you going? And uh, Jesus answered him in the end of verse 36, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Now imagine, Peter didn't have the whole New Testament. He didn't know everything that was about to happen with Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. And uh, if you're Peter in this spot, and you don't have the lens we do to look back on this event. You're going like, what's he talking about? And Peter said to him, well, Lord, why can't I follow you now? In other words, he's like, I've been following you for three years. Why can't I follow you now? I'll, I'll lay my life down for you. And then Jesus answered him with a rebuke in verse 38. He said, will you lay your life down for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. And of course, we know how that turned out, right? Jesus was right and Peter was wrong. But then in verse four, in chapter 14, verse 1, uh, Jesus turns his attention to everyone. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. You may have memorized this as let not your heart, if you memorized in the King James Version, right? Let not your heart be troubled. But if you could see it in the Greek, and you can't, this is one, one benefit that the ESV does for us here is it changes heart to hearts because your is plural. So Jesus goes from speaking just to Peter, now to all of them. Uh, that your isn't a singular pronoun. It's a it's a, um it's a plural possessive. Your, let your hearts be troubled. He tells them all believe in God. Believe also in me. Um, you ever considered that that's a command? It's actually an imperative, the way Jesus states it here. He doesn't say, um, you know, try not to let your heart be troubled. Try not to freak out. Try not to worry. It's going to be okay. No, no, he says, no, 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 no. Listen, just don't let your heart be troubled. It's actually a command that he gives us. Doesn't it? Doesn't it seem kind of harsh and kind of like how in the, it's, it's just like all his other commands. How in the world do you do that? Well, you don't do it apart from the Holy Spirit and apart from Jesus helping you. And, and then he gives other commands, believe in God. See, first he says, I want you to, here's your command. Let not your hearts be troubled. Have the peace of God, but believe in God. You also have to have peace with God. Believe also in me. And then here, here's what he does. You're going you're to know this passage. He says right after this, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. Isn't that good news? You know what he's saying? He's saying that in my father's house, there is room for everybody. There's room for everybody. Uh, back to the King James, you've maybe heard that, that uh, in my father's house, are, are, um, there's many mansions. Have you heard that? You heard it translated that way? That's actually a pretty poor translation, and it was, it was kind of poor actually at the time of the King James because it was from a couple hundred years prior to that even that they borrowed it. And mansions at the time that it was originally translated meant a dwelling or an abode. It didn't mean like this big, luxurious, uh, like Bill Gates mansion, right? So uh, really what the word here means is, is the same word, it's the noun form of the verb abide. It means an abode, a place to live. There's, there's room for everybody there, is what Jesus is saying. So sorry if that ruined, I know I just ruined maybe some of your songs, but the Bible doesn't say that there's a big mansion prepared for you in glory. That, that's a bummer, huh? But you know what's not a bummer? Is that Paul tells us that whatever uh, you've thought it's going to be like, it's gonna be better. He says in 1 Corinthians 2.9 that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So don't be disappointed by that, that. There's not a mansion waiting for you because it's better than you could have ever dreamed. But just know that that's not what this verse says. It doesn't say that there's mansions there. That's a poor translation. It says there are many rooms, many dwelling places. And what Jesus is communicating is that there's room for everyone who would have peace with him to come and be with him. And look what he says right after that. He goes, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? Now, this tells me Jesus had to be a man of incredible character among his disciples for him to use that argument. He's like, would, would I lie to you? Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you if it wasn't so? He says, that's, that's where I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In a sense, I believe this is the, if if the first verse is the what, uh, have the peace of God, let not your hearts be troubled, this is the why, right? Because Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I wouldn't tell you that if it weren't true. And verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That where I am, you may be also. Jesus' whole motivation is his love for you. He says, I want you to have my peace, and here's why you can have my peace, and you can live a life of peace that attacks your circumstances rather than gets attacked by the circumstances of life. Because, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and in my father's house, there's many rooms. There's room for you, okay? You don't need to worry about it. Your reservation's made. If you know me, it's good to go. It's all settled, and then if I go, trust me, when if I ever lied to you? I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me. Why? So that where I am, you may be also. That's the essence of heaven. That where Jesus is, we might also be. That we would be with him for eternity. That's, that's great news. And then he closes with this weird thing. He goes to his disciples. And by the way, you know the way uh, to where I'm going. Didn't we just see earlier that Peter didn't have a clue where he was going? I mean, Peter's like, well, why can't I follow you now? And Jesus ends this and he goes, by the way, you know where I'm going, right? I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and get you. And you know the way to get there. Doesn't that seem like a weird statement too? Like, hey, wait here while I go prepare a place. I'll come get you. But by the way, if I don't come, then you know know how to get there. It's kind of what it sounds like, doesn't it? But really, I think what he's saying is not necessarily... The the way, like the path, well, in a sense the path, but more metaphorically, you know the way, capital W, you know me. And that is the way. I am the way. In fact, that's what he'll say here in a moment, because Thomas asks the question that I, I would have asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You haven't told us where you're going. You just said you're going to prepare a place. Well, where is that place? Um And Jesus said to him, "Uh, Thomas, I am the way, I am the way, and the truth, and the life, And, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This is similar to his statement in chapter 10, verse 9 of John, where he says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, when Jesus says, I'm the door, is he saying, I'm a plank of wood with a knob, No, he's saying I'm the path to the Father, right? I'm the only way. And he confirms it again here. I'm the way. I am the way. Now, many people in our culture have issue with that because that's so exclusive. There's gotta be many ways to God, right? Well, it is exclusive, but guess what? Jesus is also inclusive because whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. It's open for anyone. It's amazing that God even provides a way for us that we don't deserve. And Jesus says, I am the way. And he goes on and then he he goes back, the you here in verse seven is plural again. He kind of talks to all of them. If you had known me, all of you had known me, you would have known my father also. But from now on, you do know him and have seen him. He kind of gives this rebuke like, guys, you should have figured this out already. But listen, you know me, you know the father, it's gonna be okay. Now all of that I think sets up what Paul teaches us in, in Philippians chapter four and we're just gonna go look at that quickly and then call it a morning. But, but Jesus has told us, he told his disciples and he told us, um, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house there are many rooms and I go prepare a place for you. And would I, would I have told you that if I wouldn't also then come back to get you so that where I am you may also be. So the, the why, the, the what is is, uh, is, is peace. The why is because Jesus is trustworthy and true. The, the how is through Jesus Christ. But now let's look um, just briefly here at Philippians chapter four. But by the way, before, as, as we go to do that, do you know too that uh, Jesus' love for you, that he's actually using the language of a wedding there when he says all those things? Do you know how a Jewish wedding would work? There would be a, a, a the bridegroom uh, would be with his wife, and um, he would uh, he'd be with her. He'd propose. They'd get engaged, and they would know one another. I mean, in the sense that they love one another, they're committed, they're they're legally married. And then the bridegroom would leave, and he'd go to his father's house, and he would add on a room to his father's house. And then, at an unannounced time, he would go back, and he'd find his bride. And there'd be this big parade and they'd go to his father's house where they would move in and the two would become one and the wedding would be consummated. It was already inaugurated. They were legally married, but then he'd go prepare a place. He'd come back, get them and take her to be with him. Does that sound familiar to what Jesus just said? He's like, I'm going to the father and in my father's house, there's, there's tons of room, tons of room. And at an unannounced time, I'm going to come back and get you. It's going to be a big celebration. Then we're going to come back. We're going to have a big feast. And then we're going to live together forever. It'll be awesome. Does that give you some peace to know? Well, let's look at what Paul talks about this piece. And then uh, uh, we'll sing some more and call it a morning. But there's a few things I noticed. Philippians chapter 4. This won't be on the screen. I kind of cut short some of the other stuff I was doing this morning and decided to add this in this morning. So forgive me if it's a little disjointed, that's why, but I think this will be helpful. Look at Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four. Uh, Paul writes this. He says to the church there in Philippi, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. In other words, the Lord is at hand. He, he's coming back for us. The, the kingdom is here. He's, he's going to come get us soon. But don't be, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Just briefly, a few things I see in this text that I think helps us to grasp the peace of God. Been thinking about this a lot this week. Yeah, yeah, you with me still? You live? All right. Number one, look at verse four. What's he say? Uh, rejoice in the Lord, how often? Always. How often does that include? Where, when does it not, what, what time of day does it not include? None. What circumstance of life does it not include? None. Rejoice in the Lord, always. And in case we didn't get it, Paul says, again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice. <laughs> Rejoicing is a spiritual command. The first thing I would say is rejoice no matter what. Now, when tragedy hits, do you rejoice because of the tragedy? No. We taught on these passages a couple years ago, and I told you that rejoicing is learning to dwell on God's grace to you so much because it, it absolutely supersedes any and every other thing. Rejoicing, it's, a, it's actually the exact same word. Uh, the Greek word uh, root is charis, which means grace in rejoice. And it's putting that into action in my mind. Re- rejoicing is dwelling on that charis, on God's grace. Remembering uh, Jesus Christ is my grace, that even when tragedy hits, I can dwell on his grace. I can rejoice in the truth that this is temporary, that one day all of this garbage comes to an end and I'll be with my Savior forever. Amen? So rejoice no matter what, in good and bad. Uh, You know what rejoicing is kind of like? You ever aerate your lawn? You ever aerate your lawn? Why do you do that? Those of you who do, why do you do that? You poke holes in the ground, right? And you pull up little cores of, of, of earth-wise so that air can get down below the surface and the, the roots can, can expand out a little bit and uh, they grow and they get more nutrients that goes down and, and all kinds of health benefits to the plants so that then in the spring, after the winter, after, after all the dormant season and all the death of the winter, in the spring, your lawn will come back better and more beautiful than ever and fuller than ever before. Rejoicing is kind of like that, right? In, in the midst of heading into the winter, like I dig down deep and I pull out those cores and I, I rejoice and I think about God's grace so that his grace and his truth would permeate my life so that at the end of this dormant season, uh, the lawn would be fuller and, and my life would be fuller and his peace would be more in my life. that makes sense? If it doesn't to you, it does to me and it's helpful for me. So there you go. Number one, rejoice no matter what. Number two, look at verse six. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. Oh man, that's easy, right? How <laughs> I many of you have memorized this verse and then you find yourself anxious all the time? Well, what's anxiety about? Usually it's about uh, fear about the future, isn't it? Anxiety is when I fear the, the what if. What if that happens? What if I don't get that done? What if, what if, what if, what if? And Paul tells us, he commands us here, don't be anxious. Worry is worthless. It can't change the past, it can't control the future. It only messes you up right now. That's all worry does. It's a false prophet in your life. What did the Old Testament tell us? Tell, tell the, what did God tell the people in the Old Testament to do with false prophets? If they if they proclaimed something about the future and then it didn't happen, what did they tell them to do with those prophets? Stone them, kill them, get rid of them. See you later. So if you have worry in your life, anxiety about the future, generally speaking, how many times? Most of the time, it's a false prophet. And it's worrying about something that never happens, that isn't true, never comes true. Don't be anxious, kill it. Now, that's a really easy thing to say. That's an incredibly hard thing to do. Back to our lawn illustration, it's like the weeds in the lawn. They'll they'll choke the grass out. Left unattended, it'll eventually, your, your lawn, if you just leave the weeds there and never pull them, It'll turn back into a pasture, There's, see, or, or it'll turn into a yard. You have a yard or a lawn. The yard's full of weeds. The lawn is full of grass, right? And then your yard eventually turns into a pasture. I think that's a good progression. But that's what worry does to our lives. It just it chokes those things out. So don't be anxious. Instead, dwell on His grace. Rejoice all the time. Don't be anxious. And then he, he, he kind of tells us how, though. Well, letter letter six. Number six. Verse six, pray about everything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Pray about everything. You kind of have two options, right? When you face anxiety, you can either panic or you can pray. Pray about everything, Paul tells us. one of the best ways uh, to make your lawn healthy and get rid of the weeds is to pull the weeds but then also to plant and nurture the healthy grass the more the healthy grass goes the weeds are the ones that get choked out so the more you pray like Jesus did that's how he had the peace of God spending time with the father in his word the healthy things grow the weeds get choked out and some of you you've experienced this to be true probably in, in more powerful ways than I have. And my goal is to get there, but it's hard. But, but rejoice about it in everything. Uh, don't be anxious and pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. Uh, and, and in your prayer, do it, do it with thankfulness. Be thankful. What are you thankful for? When you find yourself anxious, start just, maybe, you know, you, you know what you could do? You could just start asking yourself, well, why am I anxious? Well, because of this. Well, why am I this? Well, because of this. Well, why am I depressed? And just ask the whys over and over and over until you finally get to the root, which is you need Jesus and you need God's peace. And don't stop asking those whys until you get to the point that uh, you've talked to yourself from God's word something positive about who Jesus Christ is. And replant where those weeds were the truth of the gospel. And I think that will help you. Verse eight, uh, two more things here briefly. Uh, Think positively. Paul doesn't tell, do you notice Paul doesn't tell us in this passage, he doesn't tell us to behave any differently. He tells us to think differently, to think in a different way. Instead of focusing on the negative and reviewing everything that could go wrong, He wants us to think positive, to to be thankful to the Lord for what's gone right, to be thankful for the good, to to think differently. In fact, this is what he says. He says, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about them. And I would commend that rejoicing at its heart is part of that. It's, It's dwelling on God's grace. It's thinking about it. Think those true things. Now listen, you're hearing this from a guy who struggles with this in a big way. Just to be vulnerable with you? I do. I get in these patterns of thought that um, sorry, I didn't expect to cry. But the world's just crashing. Everything's falling apart. Um, In my mind, I can get incredibly negative and Isolate myself to be incredibly alone. And so I'm preaching to me today. Right? Like, like, don't think about those things, Josh. Just stop. It's stupid. And sorry if you don't use that word at home. It's in the Bible. That's stupid. <laughs> it's foolish. Think positively. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just and pure and lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Amen? See, there's something about the way we think determines our actions, And when I think and know myself to to be a saint, to be saved, to be renewed, to be restored in Jesus Christ, when I know who I am and I think about his grace and I dwell on that, you know what happens? It affects the way I live. And his peace begins to attack those circumstances of life. And then finally, reap the benefits of peace. See, because that's verse seven and verse nine. The peace of God then, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Not might, not, you know, we'll kind of help you. It's pretty strong language. Will guard, amen? So what you have learned and what you have received, and Paul says, what you've seen in me, practice these things, practice them and the God of peace will be with you. Amen? If you've never trusted Jesus, you need peace with God. If you've trusted him, practice these things, and his peace will be with you. Let me pray. We'll take our offering and do communion and call it a morning. Now, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him, and um, thank you that we have peace with you through him. Um, right standing with you, positionally, forever, eternally, unalterably. Lord, I pray for those who don't have peace with you, that uh, today might be the day that they turn to you in faith and do have that peace with you. For those of us who do, Jesus, would you uh, send your spirit into our hearts in such a way, in such a filling way that we would, we would practice these things, that we'd uh, remember... Uh, that, that you're trustworthy, that you go to prepare a place. And so we can trust you. We can, we can let our hearts not be troubled, but we can do that by, by rejoicing always in all circumstances, by praying and spending time with you and then and living these things out, killing anxiety and worry in our hearts. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen.